0: Welcome to the ECHO Community Church Podcast. At ECHO, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at ECHO. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Genesis chapter three. Um, Most of you have been in this chapter before, I I would assume, maybe you don't know it by number. Have you heard of the biblical characters of Adam and Eve? Yes, we're there. Okay, you know Adam and Eve? Yeah. Um, Pretty famous story. Uh, Lots of opportunities for humor in this story. And, uh, you know, we don't want to miss out on that. At the same time, to be quite honest, it's the darkest moment in human history. Every awful thing in life that you can experience resulted from this event. In Genesis chapter 3, it's the fall of man or the fall of mankind into sin. And in just the short couple paragraphs of of Genesis chapter 3, we learn the origin of sin, the origin of death, the origin of shame, sin, death, and shame. We also, and we won't get into this this week, we get the origin of the gender wars. Aren't you excited to talk about that in church? That's in here. Um, We'll look at this chapter in two different parts. This week, I just want to look at the origin of sin. Origin is from where we, or the word original comes from the word origin and Genesis is our origin story, the origin of creation, the origin of man, the origin of identity, the origin of sexuality, the origin of marriage. Now we get the origin of sin and the origin of gender wars and all those things are packed in here In Genesis chapter 3 so um, if you have your Bibles and I hope that you do turn them on or turn over to Genesis uh, chapter 3 this week we're gonna study verses 1 through 13 I will forewarn you um, there's gonna be some overlap between this week and next week because the two things I want to look at this week is where did sin come from how did it get here and is there anything we can learn about it next week I'm gonna look at the consequences and the implications of sin so you can't really separate this all out It's woven together, but we'll look at it from two different perspectives. The beginning of the chapter starts with, um, my Bible, the first two words are the serpent. Do any of your Bibles see anything different? The, now the serpent, okay, serpent or snake. Um, I wish I had time to unpack this to my heart's content today, but there you could spend a whole morning nerding out, and sometimes I have done this in my life, on who was the serpent where did he come from and why was he allowed to get into the garden have you ever wondered any of those things because what we have here is literally an upright walking talking serpent now in your study guide i give you a whole lot more i'm just gonna have to give you a short answer to this this morning and i'm going to use a quote from one of my favorite um it's probably not my favorite book um, on genesis by kent hughes Um, It's not an inexpensive book. I have the Kindle version, but it's not. So if you read, like, oh, I'm going to go get it. Like, I just bought it for somebody. It was like 50 bucks on Amazon. I don't know why. Some of you have those discount bookstores that you can get these books for like $3. That might be the way to go. But here's his quote. The surprise here is that the initiator of the dialogue is a talking snake. And more, it's not a bad snake because everything that God created, he called good. Neither is it a good snake gone bad. Sin had made no entrance into the world at this point. Its description as crafty or shrewd does not imply evil. This is a snake, a naturally shrewd creature under the control of Satan and a natural tool. The New Testament identifies the serpent as the devil, referring back to the scene In paradise in fact to know who or what we never see a revelation in Genesis 3 where Moses tells us the serpent was under the control of Satan or the serpent was Satan in fact you have to flip to almost the very end of the book Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 20 where the Bible itself does a great job of being its own commentary on itself John writes in Revelation chapter 12 about And I'll read it to you, chapter 12, verse 9. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil, or Satan. The one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to earth with all his angels. And then in Revelation 20, verse 2, he seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. So the Bible gives us the the interpretation of who or what the serpent was. It was... It was Satan. It was a, whether it was Satan himself, whether it was a serpent under the control of Satan, you can dig through all that on your own time this week and you can use your study guide. But for this morning, I want you to understand that this is is a satanic controlled serpent that is going to engage Eve and Adam in a conversation. So let's read. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Not evil, just shrewd. In fact, doesn't Jesus speak highly of the quality of shrewdness in one of his parables? One of you know, right? The parable of the shrewd. You're going to make me work really hard today, aren't you? (laughs) I'm going to give it to you. (laughs) Parable of the shrewd manager. All right, here we go. Let's wake up. Let's go. Here we go. One day he asked the woman, who's he asked? Why doesn't he ask Adam? We'll talk about it later. Did God really say? Did God really say? First question in the whole Bible. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? The woman replies, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat which tree yeah it's the tree in the middle of the garden but the tree had a name what was the name the tree of the knowledge of good and evil how come she didn't even know the name it already demonstrates she has a not fully formed understanding of what god originally said to her husband before she was made and how he related to her was either incomplete or inaccurate you must not eat it she says or even touch it if you do you will die serpent now seeing that his initial suspicion that she was vulnerable due to a spiritually passive husband and a misunderstanding of what God had already said, says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, which was true. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. That's all the serpent says. Asks one question, makes two statements and that's all it took for a vulnerable human being to be convinced the woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her lust of the eyes lust of the flesh first john so she took some of the fruit never says apple just so we're clear here Says some of the fruit, so you can eat apples with clear conscience. It's going to be all right. Okay, you can't get to this tree anymore anyway. Um, then she gave some to her husband. Most important four words I want you to see that you should never forget: who was with her. And if you go back and you want to do your work on your Hebrew language here, every time that. The serpent says you, he's using it in the plural. Meaning, you Eve and your husband, who's with you, who's being predictably quiet here. Oh yeah, he's here the whole time. Which of the two of them was on the earth at the time God gave his word Adam was. Eve had not been created yet, according to Genesis chapter 2. When God gave the instruction, saying, live it up, maximize, enjoy, indulge in all of my creation, just not this tree, all of it. The only way Eve would have known what that was is that God made Adam responsible for Eve. Not better than, not more important than responsible for. That's why he made him first. Not first in priority. First in responsibility. It's what the Bible says. Not a male chauvinist. It's what the Bible says. You're first. You're responsible. We'll talk about this next week. To cultivate. To work. And to protect. Right cultivate to be responsible for to protect and this is the first of his many failures in this passage she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too at no point did the serpent force an apple into the gullet of Adam nor Eve at no point there was a temptation but then there was a free choice From Eve and from Adam to take and to eat of their own choosing. Verse 7, at that moment, their eyes were opened just like God said and just like the serpent said. Your eyes will be opened. And suddenly they felt shame. They had never felt that feeling before. I don't know if you've ever felt shame. It's like the worst. And the worst kind of shame is when you know that you know that you know that you have sinned. Not just messed up, not just made a mistake, not just had a slip up. You've sinned against god you sinned against yourself you sinned against someone else and you know it and all of a sudden things that you weren't even aware of before your eyes are open now they knew not only good they knew evil and god tried to keep them from that because humans don't have the bandwidth to process the depth of the evil we're capable of and they felt shame and now all of a sudden they noticed their nakedness now now, here's the truth. They've been naked all all since the beginning, running around with nothing on. There's a whole bunch of different theories as to why they didn't notice it or notice that it was wrong or they felt no shame. I'll have to leave that to your notes to dig into some of that stuff. But all of a sudden, and so they make a very laughable, feeble attempt to cover up their nakedness. They sew fig leaves together. Now what you need to know about fig leaves is that they're sharp and itchy. I'll just leave that there. When the cool evening breezes were blowing in the cool of the day, I want you to watch God's response. What did he say would happen if they ate? Back to Genesis 2. What did he say would happen if they ate from that tree? They would surely or certainly die. Now are they still alive at this point? Yeah, ooh, that's a good answer. Say it again. They are physically alive at this point, but they are spiritually dead. But they're physically alive. Did God owe them to stay alive physically here? Every moment that if he kills them at this point, he's eternally separated from them. But he's going to give them an opportunity to repent. Do you see the grace already? You see, you see the grace already here? Yeah. Yeah. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the, now this is, it was, we we get the Lord God terminology from, this is the personal phrase. The enemy wouldn't use this phrase. If you go back, he never calls God the Lord God, the personal God. He calls him Elohim. And he got Eve to start using his word which isn't wrong, but it robs. You see, the enemy doesn't care if you talk about the things of God. It bothers him if you know God personally. And he doesn't want you to see God personally. He just wants to see him as a distant, repressive, strict, scare tactic God who just wants to show you everything that you can have and then tell you you can't have it. That's what he wants Eve to think, that God's just holding you back from some level of potential and pleasure and happiness to just keep you down here. And she bought into it because she was vulnerable. She was vulnerable. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Interesting verse. Then the Lord God called to, now this is important. Who does God call to? The man. He doesn't say, Eve, where are you? He says, Adam, where are you? Now, this is an omniscient, meaning he knows everything, omnipresent, which means he is everywhere, God. He knew exactly where Adam was. This was not a question of location. This was a question of position. This is a, this is a, okay, I got you, I got you, thank you. This is a question of position. Where are you? Are you in the position of protecting? Are you in the position of leading? Are you in the position of cultivating? Where are you? Where are you? He knew where he was, but he's giving Adam an opportunity to participate in his recovery and redemption. To confess. He's trying to draw him out when he could have driven him out of hiding. I want you to see the character of our father in his response to our sin here. There's many different ways. He could have struck him dead immediately. He could have driven him out. He could have gone there, right? He waited until the cool of the day. He comes walking, not with lightning bolts. They hide from him and he just says, Adam, where are you? He wanted to talk to Adam first. Adam wasn't the one who ate first, it was Eve. Well, the Bible doesn't quite break down the response. They were both responsible for their sin, but the Bible holds Adam responsible for an additional egregious lack of leadership in his house. They both suffered the consequences, but the Bible puts Adam squarely in the middle of the main culprit here. Adam replied, I heard you walking, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So the first thing out of Adam's mouth is not "I'm, I've sinned." It's, I've got some feelings. I'm afraid. It's not about the relationship with you. I'm not. It's not my relationship with you is broken. I'm dealing with some really intense feelings right now. I was afraid. I heard you coming. I hid. I was afraid. Feel bad for me. Lord has another great question. Who told you you were naked? You've been naked from day one. Who told you you were naked? He's giving him another opportunity to start thinking through what happened and confess to the Lord and take some. He's, look, Adam has taken no responsibility for his family. He failed in protecting Eve and her vulnerability. And now God's trying to give him a chance to redeem it by finally stepping up and taking some responsibility. So here's the response. Who told you you were naked? Then he asked him a second question. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? He cuts right to the chase. The man replied, it was the woman. Watch this. Not just any woman. Watch what he does here. The woman you gave me. Man has the tide turned from Genesis 2. At last, woman, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And now, it was the woman that you gave me. You gave me her. She gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Now the Lord directs his questions to the woman. What have you done? She has an, now she has an opportunity to do what Adam wouldn't do. And here's what she says. It was the serpent. The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. So the man is listening to the woman. The woman was listening to the serpent, and no one was listening to God. So what do we do with all this? A couple of things. Here's my big idea. Humans are vulnerable to temptation. That can lead to a decision to sin. It can lead. It doesn't have to. But it can. Eve was vulnerable. Adam was vulnerable. Being vulnerable is not a sin. But being being vulnerable to sin is part of the human condition now. Because it was then too. They were always vulnerable to sin. But just because you're vulnerable. Your house is vulnerable to thieves. But that doesn't guarantee that you're going to suffer loss. You just need to be aware of your vulnerabilities and take proactive steps to protect yourself. All humans are vulnerable to to temptation which can lead to a decision to sin. But. Christianity offers resources for resisting temptation. And resisting temptation leads to Christ's likeness. We see that represented in this story. So I want you to notice the first the craftiness of temptation. The craftiness of temptation. Um, why did the serpent start the conversation and bring his temptation against Eve instead of Adam? Now we ultimately see here, Satan wanted to get to Adam. But his strategy wasn't to go directly to Adam. Satan sensed one of Adam's vulnerabilities was that I can get to him through his wife. I can get to him through his wife. He has a place in his heart for her that she has a lot of influence in what he thinks and what he does. He also perhaps, perhaps, he sensed that Eve was vulnerable because she did not personally receive God's command to abstain from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that Adam had that command and what he relayed to Eve was either incomplete, misinformed, or inaccurate. He sensed that perhaps Adam didn't do an adequate job of conveying God's command to Eve. So Eve's vulnerabilities were two things we see here. First was an incomplete, misinformed understanding of what God really said. And that was combined with a spiritually passive husband. And so Satan was able to persuade her to to change her view of God, to see him as repressive, He doesn't want you to enjoy everything. Look at the one thing you can't. Forget about all this other stuff. Look at the one thing he said you can't have. Oh, and how much better your life would be. How much more happy. How much more pleasure. How much more satisfaction. How much more thrill. How much more wise. How much more beauty you can enjoy if you had that. What kind of loving God would even show this to you and say you can't have it? He's repressive. To see God as jealous and someone who uses scare tactics to keep her in place. You won't really die. He's just trying to scare you. Now, this afternoon, some of you will go home and watch football. Some of you won't. Some of you will. You'll go home and watch football. Here's what I want to tell you. Before that game today, many, many, many coaches spent a lot of time watching game film on their opponent. They poured over every tape, every play of the team they're gonna play against, why they're looking for an edge. They're looking for some place where that team is vulnerable that they can exploit to win later this year. We'll get into campaign and election seasons and you will watch politicians who have teams of people who are digging up former press releases, they're digging up all kinds of dirt on their opponents to find out where they are vulnerable so they can exploit their weaknesses. I want you to know the enemy has watched game film on you and on me. He knows where you're vulnerable. Well Satan's just, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere all the time. You're right, but he has an elaborate network of demons, the Bible tells us, and they watch and study people because you have something he wants to break in and steal and he's looking for where you're vulnerable he is crafty and he is shrewd he's not going to attack you where you're strong he's going to attack you where you're weak and you better know where you're weak because if you know where your vulnerabilities are you can set up a defense and a protection so you can resist the temptation when it comes see you need to know where your vulnerabilities are. You don't need to obsess over them. You don't need to feel guilty about them. It's not a sin to be vulnerable. You need to know. In January, when we prepare for 21 days of prayer and fasting, there's certain foods that I'm, I give up for those 21 days. And I'll just tell you, there's certain foods I could give up for the rest of my life and not have an issue. Don't like onions. Sorry, don't like them. I'm not vulnerable to the temptation to wake up in the middle of the night and bite into an onion like an apple. I could fast onions for the rest of my life and not miss anything. Not vulnerable there, but dark chocolate, I have a problem. Why is that the one thing on the menu? The waiter comes out, can I tempt you with some dessert? I really shouldn't, but please go on. You know, and you, they don't ever say, can I tempt you with the granola plate? Can I tempt you with the, you know, the, the vegan soy-free latte? Or would you like the chocolate temptation, death by chocolate? I'm like, yes, I shouldn't, but yes. Uh, just bring it in a box because I'll probably take it home every time. Why is it, you know, chocolate is always that, that thing. You need to know where you're vulnerable. Eve did not know where she's vulnerable. She didn't know until after she was... It was way late in the conversation when God says, Eve, what have you done? She says, The serpent deceived me. We don't know early enough when we're deceived. But the enemy knows your weaknesses. He knows your weaknesses. My house has a security system. When we were preparing the installation of the security system, we had to ask answer a whole bunch of questions. How many windows do you have? Which floors are the windows on? How many places of entry? How many doors? How many steps to the doors? It's a lot of different questions, why? Because the company that we contracted with to install the security system wanted to make sure they identified every possible place that people with nefarious motives could use to access the people inside of our house. Things are replaceable, people aren't. You know what they were doing? They are trying to identify the vulnerable places. We did the same thing when we moved into this space that God provided us, these 12,000 square feet. We contracted with a group to provide for us the equipment and the monitoring services to secure this building. There's a reason why, and senior, I, and, and Chris, I don't, I don't mean to diminish the value of what I'm about to say. There's a reason why, when we were thinking about where should we put a door entry sensor, we didn't put it right here in the middle of the drum cage. Now I realize the drummers are like, pastor, you have left our drums vulnerable. Why do we not have a passcode on the little entrance in the back, beep, boop, boop, and you know, they recognize this, you know, welcome, Keith, and you come in, you sit down, you play. You know why we didn't put it here? This is not vulnerable. There are other layers of protection to this. This is not vulnerable by itself. This is a place of strength there's no door, there's no window. I guess maybe the ceiling, we should maybe look at that if people really want to steal the drum set and they, you know, Mission Impossible their way in here. We put alarms on the access points that are more vulnerable. We put them on doors. We don't have many windows. We put motion sensors in those places. I'm not gonna go into all the layers. There are ninjas up there, there are other things. Yeah. A little, the, the little sharp things that come up out of the ground, you know, release the hounds, all those types of things. There's all, just don't break in here. Lots of old dusty books in my office that are worth literally dozens of dollars. They, they're, they're everything, right? Why do we do that? Because we know where we're most vulnerable. The enemy's not gonna come after you at your place of strength. That's too much work. He'll just get you where you are vulnerable. Eve was vulnerable because she had a spiritually passive husband and she had a misinformed understanding of the word. And what's interesting in the story is that in front of her husband, Eve reveals one of her vulnerabilities and he sees it. He hears her misquote God and he stays silent. He stays silent. He could have at any point spoken up and say, "Uh, Eve, Listen, that's not exactly what God said. Here's what he said. Get out of here. We have no time for you today. But he didn't. She was vulnerable. Where are you vulnerable? Don't say it out loud. I don't, this is not crowd participation. You need to know. You need to know where your heart has an appetite to lean into. And you're vulnerable there. We have a very vibrant community, a recovery community here called Celebrate Recovery. They gather as a, as a group every Tuesday evening here at the church. And I know that what they're, how they're helping our community to overcome habits, hang-ups, all those different things. How, how, how hurts habits and hang-ups, how, how they're overcoming that. They're not suggesting to the people who might have a problem with with gambling. They're not saying, listen, here's the way you break this. Go to the casino and just watch, but don't do anything. That's foolish. Why would you? That's not the test. They're saying there's a temptation there, and in right now you're vulnerable to that temptation, and it might not be wise for you to put yourself in that situation. You need to recognize where you're vulnerable is it material things what are the what are the gates and the windows and the doors to you what are the access points well the bible you know it's your ears your eyes some people it's you know if i smell chocolate while i'm on a fast all these different things what you say there might be you might know i am vulnerable to getting into gossip so there might be some people you know that they like to share the same hobby I wouldn't suggest you to have more conversations with them on these topics. There's a problem with lust. Where are you vulnerable? Is it through what you watch? Is it through? I'm not talking about the things that you have to process out on a normal day. I'm talking about what choices you have. You need to know where are you Vulnerable. So the first thing satan does in this temptation is he exploits her vulnerability first thing he does is he undermines god's word the serpent's first attack comes against what god says did god really say if he can make eve confused about what god said or have just a little bit of doubt or a little bit of uncertainty about what she thinks god said then his battle was partially won what satan did was he took god's command from genesis Chapter 2, let me read it to you just so we have it refreshed in our memory. Um, verse 16, 2 The Lord God warned Adam, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its true fruit, you're sure to die. What Satan did is he took God's positive command and he reframed it negatively and restrictively. We miss out. In fact, even as you're reading it, you probably, where do your eyes go in that? Oh, he says, no. he says, stay away from that tree. And what we miss is eat of everything, live it up, maximize. There's so much in this world God wants you to enjoy and do. Christianity is not a life of, of restriction, it is living within the boundaries of God. Enjoy it all, except this. We have this view that God's one who, you know, he takes you in. You remember Toys R Us when that used to be a thing, right? Oh, I did not like going to Toys R Us because it was just a whole day full of no's, right? It would be better not to go. My boys do the same thing. It's like, listen, if I have to make a target run on the rare occasion, I'm in and out. It's a seek and kill and destroy and take home mission. It is not wander around and spontaneously decide. And sometimes the boys have to come along and I dread those times. Because, dad, can I have a No. Can we just look? And I want to be like, no. You may not just look. Because when you just look, you're going to try me again. And it's going to be this standoff thing. Can I just... Can I just hold it? I know you said something small. (laughs) You know what I mean? I know how this goes. So I just dread these moments. But we have this idea of God, like He takes us into Toys R Us and He walks you down the aisle and He says, How do you like that toy? Oh, I really like that one oh come on come on come on son come on daughter look at the bikes look at all of them look at the most expensive one what do you think oh oh daddy i like that one so much let's go look at the video games we go look at the video games look at them all look at all the systems wouldn't it be great to have all of them yes that would be great come on let's go look at the action figures let's look at the dolls let's look at the stuffed animals let's look at the electronics look at it all all right let's go get in the car and when you get in the car we have this idea that god slams the door and says you're not getting any of it I just wanted you to know that it was here and you can't have it. We get this idea because the enemy exploited this idea. He doesn't want you to see all the blessings of life that God wants you to enjoy. He wants you to see God as restrictive. Why not that? Why not more sex? Why not more money? Why not more pleasure? Why not more clothes? Why not more stuff? Why not more power? Why not more beauty? Why not more satisfaction? God's trying to keep you from all those things because he's restrictive. You would have, you would have so much more fun, you would have so much more fun if you just ate from that tree, trust me. Listen, I, when I went to high school, way back in the dark ages, even back then, I played sports, I was in locker rooms, I heard the conversations about all the different stuff that all the different guys were doing, that as a Christian, I knew weren't for me. And if I would just listen to them unopposed, I think I am missing out on life. Look at how happy they are, how much fun, how much laughter, all the stories, just being included in that circle. If I was at this party, or I did this, or I did that, or I had a girlfriend and we did this or that or the other, I'm missing out. And my whole life got reframed negatively. The same way the enemy said to Eve, yeah, forget about all this other stuff. It's that one tree. Did God really say? So he undermines Eve's confidence and understanding God's word. He distorts her view of what God is really like. He doesn't directly deny God's word. All he does is introduce to Eve the assumption That God's word is subject to our judgment and interpretation. That's all he does. He may not come to you and outright tell you this whole book is false. What he'll say is, does it really say that? Or is there another definition that seems better to you? Maybe God doesn't mean that literally. Maybe there's some other way. I wonder if you've ever gone down that road before. All he has to do is convince you That this word doesn't have authority over us. We have authority over it to interpret it to our heart's pleasure and then do what our heart tells us it says, not what God actually says. And that's what he does here. So he undermines God's word. Second thing he does is he try and makes her forget about the consequences. He doesn't make her forget about the consequences. We'll get that second. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll get that second point in just a second. He makes her forget about the consequences. wonder if God's ever done this. You're on the fence about something you gave in. Because in that moment you're not thinking about the consequences. You're just thinking about what it offers you in the in, in that time. Did God really say? And then his second one is he, he says, you won't die. Don't think about the death part. He lied to you. Your eyes will be open. He, he tries to make Eve forget about the goodness of God by you know, basically suggesting he lied to her. The badness of sin, he's saying, it's not bad for you, it's actually good for you. This tree's not bad. Your eyes will be open. you'll be wiser, you'll, you'll be just like God, and that's what he doesn't want. He wants to, God's acting like he is God alone, and that people in 2023 are gonna sing worship songs about that. All that's going to happen is you're not going to die. Your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to be wiser. And you're going to have more knowledge. You're going to be just like God in that respect. And he ultimately convinces them that the sin is a good thing. That a bad God doesn't want them to have. That's the allure of sin. It promises us access to elite levels of pleasure and satisfaction that God's word withholds from. So he didn't have to make them hate God. He just had to make them forget God. Satan doesn't have to make you hate God or turn on God. Just not think about him. Just forget about him when you give in to temptation. So his final attack was to include some truth in there. He says, your eyes will be opened. That's right. A complete lie is rarely effective. If he doesn't couple it with some truth, there's little power in the temptation. But he tacked on that when they ate of the fruit, they'd be like God. So that's what he does. He undermines, he convinces her to not be confident in the word of God. He exploits that she has an immature understanding of God's word. And that she has a spiritually, the people in her circle that are supposed to protect her in her immaturity failed. And he kind of knew that that would happen. Then he recasts what God said in a negative light. Convinces her to not think about the consequences. It's not really a bad thing. It's really a good thing. I'm people I've heard people who take all kinds of unethical financial shortcuts in life don't report things on their taxes that they should report because in their mind they say it's a way to get ahead well nobody knows I wasn't issued any paperwork I nobody can really track it back through maybe this is God's way of blessing me don't take that fruit pastor are you are you excited about taxes who's excited about taxes don't get excited about them but it's part of what's proper and legally required to live in this country. You gotta pay your taxes. I wanna pay exactly what I owe, not more, not less. And I know I wasn't expecting applause or standing ovation on that. But sometimes you have to make this relatable because you can't relate to eating fruit from a tree. But you can relate to saying maybe here's an opportunity for me to get ahead financially. You'll bring the receipt, hey, you'll bring the receipt back when they charge you too much. Do you take it back when they charge you too little? You get the receipt for lunch and it's missing four drinks. You pay and get out of there and say God's blessing. They charge you for four drinks you didn't have. You go up and you say, this is a temptation from the devil. Right? Right? You drive hundred miles an hour down the highway and you don't get pulled over you say that's God's blessing so I could get there faster they pull you over this is the enemy trying to get under my skin we're not any different from our parents we're not so briefly because I'm about out of time response number two response to the temptation first question where am I vulnerable and how can I set up defenses Here's how Eve responds to being tempted. She has a conversation with the serpent. She entertains it rather than shutting it down. Did God really say, and here's Eve's response, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? What Eve says is, verse 3, or verse 2, of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. That's right. That's correct. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle. But well, we already see she has an incomplete understanding, she didn't know its name. God said you must not eat it, and now she adds something onto it that demonstrates both misinformation and a misconception of God. God says not only are we supposed to not eat it, we're not supposed to touch it. She misrepresents God to be more restrictive. God's command was of generosity, not of restriction. And in her mind, God's being restrictive. It's like my kids. They'll come in the bedroom, the little one will come in. Dad, can I have can I have three pieces of candy before bed? And I'll say, no, buddy, it's too late at night. And he'll go out into the kitchen and I'll hear him say to my wife. My wife will say, Zaya, why are you so sad? Dad said I can never have any more candy ever again because I'm a bad boy. And I will come out into the kitchen right away and be like, look, (laughs) I'm from the room and I don't want you to be vulnerable to this guy right here. That's not what I said. He's making it more restrictive because he didn't get what he wants. This is what our human hearts do your boss says listen i need you to be in here on time more regularly and you say okay i understand you've got your coworker. i'm gonna get fired if i'm not here on time oh that jerk i can't believe she said do we not well i don't okay somebody at your job have you ever been on the other end of that maybe you're the one as the boss when you sit down with somebody and you just explain to them what you expect and there's some discipline that's there and they go out, they totally misrepresent it to everybody else. This is what Eve is doing here. He says, don't look at it. Don't even touch it. She entertained the inquiries and she participated in a discussion rather than dismissing him or rebuking him. Both Eve and Adam, who was with her, had an opportune moment right here to shut the serpent down. And they both failed. Can I tell you, Let me just sake of time, here's the deal. Here's a good starting place. Don't entertain temptation. Resist it, rebuke it, flee from it. Doesn't mean it'll stop. But the Bible does say this if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. They did not resist, he doubled down. Eve had a partial understanding of God's word, but her theology included both misinformation because she misquotes God and incompleteness because she doesn't know the name of the tree we don't want to let adam off the hook too much here because his failures here are many he failed to properly relate to his wife and we'll talk more about this next week he failed to properly relate to the, his wife what the lord taught him spiritually second he remained silent through this entire exchange he's with her the whole time He knows what the Lord had said. He hears Eve misquote the Lord. She confesses, and whether it's in her her mind, she's misquoting or she's accurately quoting what Adam has misquoted. You follow me there? Follow me? Maybe it's not on her part an intentional watering down or changing what God said. Maybe she's just repeating what Adam has conveyed to her. They're saying, oh, well, if Adam conveyed that to her, she's still responsible, but he's even more responsible. Yes, and thus says the Bible. The Bible doesn't say through Eve we all sin. It says through Adam, even though they both sinned. Okay? His absentee spiritual leadership left his wife vulnerable to temptation. Ultimately and knowingly, they both took the fruit and ate. But what the Bible says, and I'll read the verse here to you in just a second. What the Bible says is that Eve sinned because she was deceived. Adam sinned intentionally with eyes wide open. She was deceived, so she ate. Adam was not deceived, and he ate. Both are sins. One, the Bible says, this one was even more egregious. So are all sins equal? Yes, they're all, sin- all sins are equal in this sense, that every single sin requires a death sentence. They're all equal. But not all, and in that sense, their spiritual consequences are the same. But there are other consequences where the sins aren't equal. And that's the consequence that they have here on earth. Sometimes sins are in private against yourself. It needs to be repented from, but it doesn't cause civilian de- casualties. Adam's sin impacted all of us. Big one. He took the fruit and ate. That's how they responded to temptation. They didn't entertain it, they shut it down. You know, when we, I don't have time for that story. We'll leave that here. Number three, the decision to sin. So you need to know where you're vulnerable. You need to decide when I'm tempted, do I entertain it? Do I wrestle with it? Do I lean in? Do I get as close as I can to it to try to get the most pleasure out of this and then pull away? Or do I just shut it down right away? Even last night, and I've told these stories before, and, and so many of you just laughed at me and thought so much less of me, but I recognize this happened last night. I, I, uh, I sold something on eBay, and I had to go downstairs. And I'm getting ready to pack. It was an old chainsaw chain. Just don't judge me. Bought it for a dollar, sold it for 35 bucks. I was so happy. Um, you know, big, huge wealth. I'm going to retire next week on, on that one chain. Um, and the guy said, hey, can you just please make sure it's packed carefully? Because the box is more valuable than the chain. It's an old box from the 40s. And he's like, I, I collect the boxes. I could care less about the chain. I said, absolutely. I'll bubble wrap it, shrink wrap it, put it in a box. Well, I get downstairs, and all I have at this point are huge boxes. And I have hundreds of them. Well, they're, they're, I have a lot of them. And I know the bigger the box, when I go to enter in the shipping, it's going to cost me more. And then my margin goes down. But I had this little tiny United States Post Office bubble mailer that I thought, hey, I could put it inside that bubble mailer, but that bubble mailer is my priority mail, which means I have to use priority mail postage. But if I put that inside of a blank bubble mailer I have over here, I can take government-issued bubble mailers, put it inside a non-government issued package, and only pay the postage on the non-government and save six bucks. And as I'm walking across to grab the bubble mailer, I also know that on the bubble mailer says it is a federal offense to do what I just described. And I'm thinking, here's what goes into my brain who's going to know? And I'm telling you, thank God, because even two years ago, I wouldn't have gone any further. As soon as that thought hit my mind, I was like, oh. And the second thought said, is $6 worth my integrity? And I just, what I didn't do was walk over there and read it again. Maybe this one doesn't have the, I just stopped the whole process, put it in a big box, paid the extra thing, and I like, it's rather better to just sleep at night. Now, Is that always how I respond to temptation? No, and you don't either. You need to know where you're vulnerable. You need to know where you're vulnerable. Do I entertain it or do I shut it down? The more I would have entertained that, I probably would have nudged over to this side. I already knew it was wrong. I was just trying to find some loophole to justify. Six dollars. Six dollars. The decision to sin. John Milton in his book Paradise Lost writes this about the decision to Adam and Eve to sin. Earth felt the wound and nature from her seat sighing through all her works gave signs of woe that all was lost. So Eve gives in to the lust of the flesh. She saw that the tree was beautiful. She gave in to the lust of her eyes. She saw that it looked delicious and to the pride of life she wanted its wisdom. She chose, she chose to take the fruit eat the fruit now it's not a sin to be tempted it is a sin to choose to yield to the temptation and i there are three words we use interchangeably that all start with t that i need to differentiate it'll take me about 45 seconds to do so it deserves a whole sermon but here's the three words temptation test trial have you ever heard those three words when we describe the christian life temptation test trial temptation here's what a temptation is it's designed to bring out your worst not your best Temptations are designed to bring out your worst. Can I tempt you with the chocolate? I really shouldn't, but yes, please, right? Designed to bring out your worst. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way like we are and yet didn't sin, Hebrews tells us. We're not to entertain temptation. We're to resist temptation. And the book of James tells us God never tempts us. Nor can he be tempted. God does not tempt us. What's a test? A test is something designed for both God and us to see where we're at in the process of Christ-likeness. It's an opportunity for us to, to see how strong and mature we are in our faith or where we're weak. They're not necessarily pleasant, but they're useful and they're helpful. And then you have trials, and the words trials and tests are often used interchangeably, and they they may look the same, but a trial is designed to refine and purify our character and faith. Painful and difficult they are, but if handled properly, a trial can develop Christ-likeness. Temptations, trials, tests. This is a temptation. designed to bring out your worst. Eve gave the fruit to Adam, who also ate, Whereas Eve was deceived and then sinned, Adam was not deceived and sinned anyway. Eve was tricked into sin, but Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. Here's what 1 Timothy 2.14 says, And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived. And the sin was the result. Kent Hughes writes, Adam sinned willfully, eyes wide open and without hesitation. His sin was freighted with sinful self-interest. He had watched Eve take the fruit and nothing happened to her. And so he sinned willfully, assuming there would be no consequences. Everything was upside down. Eve followed the snake, Adam followed Eve, and no one followed God. Why did Adam also eat? Eve was deceived. That's why she ate. She saw something she wanted and she was vulnerable not being backed by God's word. She was not covered by her husband to step in and protect her from her vulnerabilities. And so she saw it. She could have it. She wanted it. She had opportunity and she ate. Why then did Adam take from Eve and eat? There's two possible reasons and they both might be, there's probably more than two. One is that He did not want to say no to his wife. Second reason is he probably wanted some too. And now that he saw that she ate, and what did God say would happen if they ate? They would die. She ate, and what happened? She didn't die physically. And so he says, hmm, she ate, nothing happened. Maybe I can eat too, and nothing will happen. So why does the Bible judge Adam more harshly? And for the final quote here, I'll turn to Kent Hughes. Her husband's transgression of God's word had greater culpability because one, God's word had been given directly to him before Eve's creation. Two, he was present with Eve during her transgression as evidenced by Satan's consistent address of Eve with the plural of the word you. And three, Adam in self-serving passivity allowed his wife to partake while he looked on. Then, Seeing that she did not die, he partook. Adam was not fooled as was Eve. His rebellion was an informed, eyes wide open, self-serving rejection of what God and his word. Of, of, self-serving, of God and his word. Unspeakable rebellion. And what happened? Shame. They both knew they were naked. Their eyes were opened and the world didn't look better. The world looked worse. The world looked worse. The way they saw themselves. The way they saw God and the way they saw their whole world had changed as a result of their sin. First instinct, cover their nakedness and hide. And yet, they knew their coverings were ineffective from an all-seeing God. That's why they hid. That's why they hid. What Satan had told them was true, but it was only half true. They didn't die that day as they supposed they might. Adam lived another 930 years with that shame. Yet, they did eventually die. What died presently was that their constant communion with God underwent death. I can't go deep into point number four today. This is where we'll pick up next week. How does God respond to his children's sin? Worship team, why don't you come? I drew this out a little bit at the beginning. There's a lot of different ways God could have responded. How does God respond to us when we sin? And maybe that response in some ways varies case to case and time to time. They were vulnerable. They didn't protect their vulnerabilities. They entertained temptation. They gave in to temptation. They each chose to sin. Eve sinned because she on one hand, you could say she didn't know any better, but even the little bit that she did know is what God goes after. What was one part? She said, I'm not supposed to eat from that tree. Now, she added on to it. She tacked on to it. She misquoted God. But when God comes to her, his question is, what have you done? His question to Adam is, why did you eat from the tree? He doesn't go after all those other things. He goes right to the heart of the matter. Even your, your misinformed understanding still had a boundary in it that was true, and you still bypassed it. God comes to Adam and Eve and he, where are you? We've been through the whole story. They, they had been trying to cover their sin, but even their coverings weren't successful. So let's go back to it. What did God say would happen if they sinned? He said there will have to be death. There will have to be death. And what we'll get into next week I need to bring right here because you have to see this. You have to see what God does here. He could have killed them right then and there. He could have left them try to unsuccessfully cover their bathing suit parts with fig leaves for the rest of their lives. But do you remember what God ultimately did in the end of this conversation? We didn't read it today. What did he provide for them? He gave them better coverings to hide their shame. Do you know? And the coverings came from what? Animals, which means God had to kill animals to cover their sin. Something had to die. And what God did in an act of grace and mercy to Adam and Eve was that He accepted. The sacrifice of an animal to be a substitution for their death. And he applied that animal's death to their nakedness to satisfy his justice. Jesus Christ. You see Genesis, all the way back in Genesis 3. The moment man fell god initiated a plan to redeem us as soon as that first bite from the fruit from eve happened there was still a chance for adam when that bite from adam happened the only two humans in the world severed spiritually their relationship from god and what god could have done in that moment is wiped it all from history we would never would have even known but instead he chose a more difficult path A self-sacrificing path to say, I will redeem them. They're mine because I made them, but they'll be mine twice because I'll buy them back. Every time that we sin, it demands death. Every time. But what God has demonstrated is that he will accept a, a worthy substitute in exchange for our death. Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God. Lived the life we shouldn't have lived. We should have lived and we haven't. He died the death we deserve to die. So that we can find forgiveness for our sins. And when we ask God to forgive us, what actually happens is he takes Jesus' death on the cross and he receives that as a substitutionary atonement to pay the debt for our sins. You know what you and I need? We need a better covering for our nakedness than fig leaves. Because what you and I do to hide and to make ourselves feel good about the wrong that we've done, and we all know we've done wrong. We all know. We all know. We know we're not perfect. We know that we're broken. We know that there's a different kind of life, a different goodness about life that we can't achieve. We know that. The solution is not making your own fig leaf covering. The solution is Jesus Christ. It is salvation in him. And if you know Jesus as your savior, that's not permission to just go around and do whatever you want knowing that his death atones. No, that's not how you treat somebody you love. The response to grace is not more sin. The response to grace is obedience. It's love. You don't get married and on your honeymoon night say to your spouse, how many times can I be unfaithful to you before you'll divorce me? That's not gonna make the evening go well for you. Why do we say that to the Lord I thank you that we're in covenant and I know that you've said that you'll forgive me when I sin so how much sin can I really commit before the marriage is off that's no kind of relationship you respond to that kind of grace by clinging to that person so where are you vulnerable what lies have you believed what compromise has been made in your life? What do you need to confess to the Lord today? And where might he be ready to release his forgiveness to you? Let's learn from the failures of our past so that we can live more wisely in our today and our tomorrow. Can I pray for you this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you provide for us resources to resist temptation. You give us an ever-increasing awareness of the Bible. You give us an ever-increasing understanding of our vulnerabilities. And you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to resist temptation when it comes by... Speaking truth into it by fleeing by putting up protection You've also put us in communities of people you've given us relationships who are supposed to look out for us And call calls to account when they see us going down these trails and so father We thank you for these resources you've given us. I pray over my friends and family today Lord where we have sinned against you I pray you shine the light on that today and draw us back into relationship with you that we cannot repeat the mistakes of Adam That we don't shift the blame that we don't just cower and feel sorry for ourselves because of the shame that we're in, that we don't uh, make excuses or try and rationalize, that we just say, I am responsible. Please forgive me, for I have sinned. Lord, I pray that you will continue to wash and purify your church so that we can be an accurate representation of our Holy Father. And if holiness is your desire for us, and I believe it is, then you must do it. And we must cooperate and surrender. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God and in this moment right now you are recognizing the distance between you. You feel the shame and the guilt and the distance between you and God and you know that you have sinned against him and that you deserve punishment and you are Needing and wanting somebody to save you and to forgive you and to lift you out of this place and to clothe you with righteousness You're in the right space in the right moment. This is your time all you have to do to be saved The Bible says we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ It's by grace alone faith alone in Jesus alone So that simply means if you believe that you need to be saved and you believe that Jesus can save you and you believe that he will save you if you ask and you acknowledge that he is the supreme lord that you do not eat, you don't eat from the tree so you can be just like him and sit as a co-leader with God that he is the Lord and we are his servants he is supreme and we are not that what he says comes first and what and how we live is in obedience to that if that is the truth of your heart that's what you've heard that's what you believe then all you have to do is confess what you believe to God in your own words he will hear you he will save you It can sound as simple as a prayer like this. Jesus, I know I have sinned against you. I am sorry for my sins. I am responsible and I'm coming to you. I confess to you that I've sinned and I'm here to receive your forgiveness today through Jesus. Jesus, save me. Fill me. Change me. Make me like you because you're the Lord. I receive from you salvation today in your name i pray amen we hope you enjoyed the echo community church podcast if you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following jesus christ today we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.